Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Wanted, dead, undead, or alive. Listeners, to join us for the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things in movies and entertainment. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, everybody. You've hit the jackpot. I'm your host, Andrew Auger. Let's get into my fellow partners in crime. He's the only person I'd let feast on my heart because when you feast on those eyes of his, oh boy, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> You're going all in on the puns here today. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, we don't get a lot of like zombie opportunities, so I'm a fan of that. You can never tell if he's simply a member of the undead or if he just hasn't showered, Mr. Jay Kensler. Oh, that's <laughs> that's actually a, a fair one. I often came back from uh from a practice double and then would go to night class and sit in between Andrew and Nate and they would both be like, dude, yep. you're just, yep. you, you practiced, <laughs> went to class, practiced again, and then came to class again and you reek. And I'm you like, you gotta I know. at least sink shower, Jake, you know, there's only like, so much time in a day. Speed stick with you for emergencies only something. <laughs> <laughs> or like those little ax sprays that they gave us in like fifth grade when we were still learning what puberty was. Yeah. One of those. Yeah, I, I admittedly just kind of was like, whatever, they're my friends, they won't care, but they did. Oh, we totally <laughs> did. We care more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, it added to like the 1970s cinema verite experience that our night professor person was yeah, going it for. Yeah, was, it was experimental film. Yeah, right, exactly. Experimental It felt vibe. gritty, it felt grungy, so I'll <laughs> say you were on theme. The Middle Seats is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, our show is divided into three segments. We have a lobby talk segment where I'll be pitching a topic to the crew, and we'll be going back and forth on that topic for about 10 to 15 minutes like you would in the lobby of a movie theater. Then we have our news segment, two trailers to talk about today, so we're excited about both of those. And then we get into our review of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, the second Zack Snyder movie in five to six episodes. Didn't see that coming at the beginning of 2021, but here we are. Let's jump into our lobby talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So this one was spurred by Dave Bautista in Army of the Dead. It's a little bit of a stretch because Dave Bautista has been acting for so long, but these WWE stars, when they translate from wrestling to acting it's sometimes hit or miss but at least they have some kind of acting background to jump off of so that kind of spurred my thinking where I was thinking about people in our everyday life that aren't necessarily connected to movies and tvs which ones of them would we think would be the best personalities or the best options to break out if they wanted a second career like do a reverse Ronald Reagan where, you know, Ronald Reagan was an actor and then he was president. What if we had like a, a president or a politician who became an actor who would succeed the best? So they can't have been like a star in any movie at any point. So that kind of like eliminates like Eminem or like LeBron James from the options or something like that. But 
if they've made cameos in movies, that's fine. So basically, just to boil down what the question is, personalities that aren't actors that you could see being good actors in the future if they wanted to do it, just based on public appearances, charisma, all these other like intangibles that go into what makes a engaging on-screen presence. Does that make sense, Joy- gentlemen, the prompt? I yep. hope so. <laughs> You'll tell us if we're wrong. Yeah. Jake, why don't you start us off then? All right. Um, so when I was thinking about this, I was going through some sports players and jokingly, I was like, you know, any any soccer player with all their fake ass injuries and they're acting on the field. And then I was kind of thinking like, so like uh, honorable mention, which we are tending to do with Lobby Talk now, I think Sean Spicer would actually be funny, ironically, in anything. You put him in a comedy, put him in a horror movie, put him in an action movie. I feel like that... Just seeing him in anything would be funny. As long as he's the first character to get killed off, I'm okay with that. We're and just... also, yeah, I, we'll, we'll get into Sean Spicer a little later, actually. Yeah, it would it would depend on the role. Um, but I landed on, I think Bruno Mars could actually be a really good actor. He's got a lot of charisma. He's got a lot of spunk. He's got, um, he's got great rhythm, so you could put him in a musical, obviously. But I think he could be a really fun, charismatic leading man. That's a good pick. I'll let this one slide because he did a pretty big voice in Rio 2, but I don't think that counts. Oh, did he? So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, say, they... <laughs> we'll say his prowess is like a live-action musical person, and I can see it. Uh, he's mm-hmm. very theatrical with the way that he mixes genres and stuff like that, and you can see it a lot in his music videos, the way that he translates the music to his actions and movements. I could definitely see it. There's a reason that musicians are the most likely to make the transition into acting, because they just deal with so much in terms of interviews on late night talk shows, uh, music videos, they're used to being behind a camera and having to sell a brand being themselves to get their album sold. So transitioning over to movies makes a lot of sense. And I didn't even think of that too. Yeah. The sales pitch part of it. Mm -hmm. People are more naturally drawn to musicians because generally they don't get them angry. (laughs) There's a couple exceptions for pop stars today, like your your Justin Bieber haters and all that right. kind of stuff. But in general, it's hard to get a large swath of a movie-going audience against you from the get-go. A little harder to do if you're a politician or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm trying to picture, like, a musical that exists that he could fit really well into. Uh, I, I keep coming back to, like, I feel like his musical style fits some of the parts of Hairspray really well. He he can adapt to different styles and stuff too, which also helps in terms of jumping from genre to genre. Like maybe some sort of rom-com kind of thing. I was I, I was that thinking too. that too. Like I could see, I, he had all those romance songs, like yeah, Catch a Grenade for You, which I, I do not like that song. But um, I could <laughs> totally see him fitting a romance movie, but like he's got this really like this fun, upbeat kind of sense of personality. He's very creative. So I could see him working well in a comedy or something Honestly, even like an Edgar Wright movie, who we'll talk about in a bit. I don't know. Like, not everybody has that kind of charisma, but certain people like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has it a little bit. Ryan Gosling has his own kind of charisma. So I feel like Bruno Mars could fit that role pretty well. Yeah, I'll second that. Believe it or not, I went the sports route tonight. What? Granted, I did have help. Shout out to my girlfriend for helping me come up with (laughs) some semblance of an idea here. But I'm going to go A-Rod. This is another... A major league baseball player who has transitioned to media at some point, much more on the the business side of things like Shark Tank. Um, but he's already proven that he at least is a camera personality. 
I don't think it's that hard of a stretch to get him to play a character outside of himself. So I'll, I'll go Rayride. I think he can do kind of the rock thing. He has the charisma for it. He's got a build for it. He's got the build for it. He doesn't need to work out too, too much more to get in superhero shape. Um, I... Uh-oh. Like <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll let you take the uh, lead I, there. I'm, obviously, I'm a huge Yankee fan if you don't know me. Uh, so by virtue, I'm an A-Rod fan. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm trying to go genre genre, and I just see a shitty performance after a shitty performance. <laughs> just the, just his delivery on Sunday Night Baseball. He's a cornball. He he's just he's cl- he doesn't have good comedic timing, so that kind of invalidates him from comedy, in my opinion. And I felt like that might be a good spot for him, like the LeBron James train wreck kind of role. Maybe uh, maybe. I don't know. I could see him in a in a role like again Dwayne the Rock Johnson had in Pain and Gain, where he's this giant, also sissy at the same time. I feel like something like that might might fit him a little bit well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took it took the Rock like ten years to get to the, be ready for that point though. Too that's true. That's true. So could he get better? Maybe. Uh, I could see he's got I could the see, money to take acting lessons. <laughs> he's dated enough actresses that he shouldn't have to take acting classes. <laughs> true. Also. Um, I think it would take a couple years, but maybe it would work out. I don't think it would be an immediate, right off the cuff thing. I'm actually surprised he hasn't dabbled more in acting at this point, or maybe he just knows his limitations. Well, e- easily his first role would have to be in uh, the other guys too. <laughs> yeah. Right? You should you should have shot a Rod. Have him come in in the sequel. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that Derek Jeter cameo was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, but he, even he wasn't given it. Given oh, the yeah. best I, performance. There's a reason I didn't pick Jeter. <laughs> Like, that's the thing with so many of these types of people is that as soon as you get them in front of a camera, they're, they go, like, full robot. And they just, like, yeah. this is the line I was told to say, and I'm not going to veer anywhere for it. Even Beyonce feels like that in, like, the Lion King remake, you know? And she should be a lot more charismatic than she Beyonce's is. Beyonce's like that in everything she's in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like Austin Powers' Gold member, Pink Panther. Careful, yeah. you're going to get canceled. Uh, it hasn't worked out. <laughs> so I, I think her fans would even agree with that, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, acting is so. We think of it as just this easy profession, but it's it's hard. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's not meant for everybody. Nate's absolutely right. Where it's like a deer in headlights syndrome sometimes when you jump in front of the camera. And that's why I think A Rod at least has a better shot because he's been on camera a lot more. You can call him corny or whatnot, but at least that's a that's a personality and not a script. So that's why I'm going with him. He completely rehabilitated how people look at him because um, mm-hmm. everybody hated him a couple years ago, and now people tolerate him at least <laughs> true yeah all right mine is gonna be i've been referencing politicians a lot who was who's the most charismatic politician of the last like 10 years obama yeah so that would be my answer <laughs> you guys are on the right brainwave for that one <laughs> holy cow well i mean he was he was the president it's not like i asked him to dig to for a state center of the 49th district mm-hmm. well, i was also actually thinking obama earlier i was like he could totally be fun in some movie he's got great energy well, let's not even talk about just fun, too, because, I mean, Obama is known for being a very, you know, funny president um, in terms of just having good comedic timing during his speeches and cracking jokes and being good with a smile and stuff like that. He's also a phenomenal orator. He has the gravitas to deliver these powerful speeches, and he did that throughout his entire eight years in office. And I think that translates really well to if he was handed a monologue by a director. Oh, yeah. Um, would he be able to handle it? And I think he would understand the cadences and the pauses and the little it, it would it would come down to the actual shows of emotion 
because a president can't like you know break down crying during a monologue <laughs> yeah, that would that not would be, be very a, presidential a change in character yeah there. that certainly <laughs> that certainly wouldn't work out very well but i think he would understand what it would take and in steps like one through three to make a character work he would just have to find that final step and again it might take a little bit of time but i think if he wanted to do it he, he would never absolutely do it but i could see an alternate universe where you know, he's a charismatic lead like Will Smith or Michael B. Mm. Jordan or somebody like yeah. that. Like President a Tom didn't Black work actor. out, so he turned to Hollywood. Right, yeah. <laughs> like I said, the reverse Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. I could totally see it. Uh, my honorable mention, uh, just because I think he commands a screen and people love him and he is just known as like a dope guy. Guy Fieri. Surprised he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to like act in something. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good pick. Yeah, I think he would be a cool like uh, against typecasting person too. You know what I mean? Like he plays the. Remember a couple years ago when Kevin James played like a neo Nazi? Can you imagine like Guy Fieri is like a meth dealer and like a drama by Ridley Scott? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> right, it fits pretty well. Once you get past the initial fifteen seconds of shock, where you're like, "Is this Flavor Town?" And then, do you think you would keep the frosted tips? Would that be part of his contract? I think it would depend on the movie. I think, like, because I think, like, let's say, like, Tarantino needed some kind of Crazy Eyed Joe villain or whatever. Frosted tips could work for Crazy Eyed Joe. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I guess I could see. I'm not as familiar with Guy Fieri, um, so I can't speak to him as there's, much. There's but nothing I, I to be familiar about. He's just, he's just the food guy. <laughs> Everything yeah. you know is what you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know a whole lot. I think Guy Fieri is honestly the best one we pitched so far, and that's your honorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. I think that would just be fun. <laughs> like, you know, kind of like a thing like we're Meatloaf in Fight Club. That kind of thing. Okay, you know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or Meatloaf in uh, a Sausage Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Starts out as stunt casting and ends up actually being good casting. All right, we ready to move on to news, gentlemen? Yeah, we got some good trailers to talk about. Yes, we do. Uh, but first, we've got one other item. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So we always talk about on the show and off mic and on the internet and on Reddit, we talk about whether movies are a good idea or not. One that has gotten a lot of backlash over the last decade to 15 years when they've talked about it and then put it away and talked about it and put it away is a Willy Wonka origin story. Um, and <laughs> this is right. It, it, this has gone from a dream or depending on who you ask a nightmare to reality in recent days, because now we have an actor attached to this origin story that would take place. It would show Willy Wonka's rise before he even had the chocolate factory, which who the f- cares, I guess is my <laughs> <laughs> really, I mean, like it's, this sounds like Doolittle to me personally, but anyway, let me let me let me get through Oof. this, and then we can critically talk about it. D- Timothy Chalamet, who of course is a big hot name, he's been in plenty of movies at this point. Call Me by Your Name, Lady Bird, Little Women. Uh, he's like the big it guy in Hollywood right now. He's going to be in Dune this October. He has been mm-hmm. cast as a younger version of Willy Wonka. This will be a musical, so he will get a chance to flex his musical skills as I feel like it's a prerequisite for every actor to have even if they never use it uh Paul King directing this who made Paddington 1 and 2 which are two excellent children slash family films so that gives me a little bit more hope than the general premise but this was very interesting to me 
it also kind of made sense to me in a perverse way. Nate, what was your reaction when you heard both Chalamet as Wonka and this origin story idea? Yeah. <laughs> you you can put the freaking Avengers cast in a Willy Wonka movie, and I still think it's a bad idea. <laughs> One actor isn't going to make or break a movie for me. Um, like... Is Willy Wonka just one of those uh, like corporate safe IPs like Robin Hood that they can just remake it whenever they feel like at this point? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think it's a Warner Brothers property. Then, then why? Willy Wonka does not need an origin story. There's so many other characters or better yet new characters that you can do rather than just see creepy old man become creepy old man. Like I'm eccentric billionaire. Woo, look at me. Would they go canon and try to incorporate, like, the dentist subplot from the Johnny Depp remake in here? Uh, I, I think, don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. But, like, they already tried this once with that movie. <laughs> we got that, like, half flashback that took up three quarters of that movie's runtime, it felt like. We don't need this. We don't need to see how the Oompa Loompas get found. We don't need to see... <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to see how Mars bars went out of business or whatever. It's <laughs> it's a stupid idea. <laughs> it, yeah, and also that flashback was kind of problematic too. It was the most problematic part of that movie because he basically tricks the Oompa Loompas into coming, work, coming to work as his slaves basically. So mm-hmm. I hope that's not how it plays out here. You know, maybe it's more of a partnership. Maybe they get a stake in the Wonka <laughs> company. You get one stock each. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I, I will say, Jake that if we're going to do this, Chalamet could be an interesting fit, but is that enough? It doesn't sound like it is for Nate. Is it for you? I mean... No. For me, very simply, I think if you're going to do it, great casting, but it's completely it's a completely unnecessary project. I know I was the high man on Joker, but generally speaking, these projects are a bad idea because part of the reason we love these characters is the aura of mystery around them. Amen to when that. When you give us these origin stories, that disappears. It completely disappears. So part of the fun about Willy Wonka and the original is how unique and kind of uncertain this character is. If you're going to tell us everything about him, that goes away. That's mm-hmm. an excellent point. Yeah. So I love Timothy Chalamet, but I don't know about this one. You're right. It feels like an over-explaining of a character that has been already done twice now. And once... Gene Wilder's performance as Willy Wonka, rest in peace, Gene Wilder, it's iconic for a great reason. And Johnny Depp's performance is memorable for other reasons. Um, I like that movie, actually, but I, it's, it doesn't hold a candle to what Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was able to accomplish. You know, we talk about this every time there's a remake or every time there's a reboot. You can always look at that original film and just look at it as its own little isolated bubble. Like, this movie won't ruin that experience, but it also will probably not enhance it as well. Chalamet's got like kind of like the weird, bizarre, kooky character kind of thing going on that I think could work. I'm very interested to hear him sing because I'm sure he can do it, but it's just not a skill set that we've seen flexed yet at this point. But yeah, I mean, the only thing that gives me any kind of hope really is Paul King, who has earned my respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is something. Director does matter, honestly, even more than the casting in some in some circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you could argue that Paddington 1 and 2 weren't exactly great ideas or setups. It could easily turned out to have been like a Garfield or a Cats and Dogs or something. And it ended up being just absolutely delightful on its own. So, I mean, he mm. could find that whimsical tone and make it work. It's just a matter of, you know, if he gives 150% max effort behind the camera, will it still be worth it to see 
Willy Wonka sword fighting with pirates to get the secret recipe for his Wonka bar or the everlasting gobstopper. Like, who <laughs> cares? Like, yeah, I just I, – I hope they go with the more whimsical route and less the – the weird creepy route that the that the Johnny Depp reboot did because that didn't work for me at all. The the original still has this weird moments like there's the freaking chicken and the head's getting cut off scene in the tunnel where Gene's just going full maniac to the camera. <laughs> That's really creepy from the first movie. I would hope they would avoid stuff like that, but time will tell us. That that's my favorite. That's your favorite to- part. No, 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 no. You gotta let me finish. That's oh, my sorry, favorite sorry. how it should have ended video. The that old web series that they still do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite of that is they, they recreate that scene and then all of them just go home because they're so traumatized. They, like they, <laughs> you don't continue the journey after that. Yeah, yeah. This this wasn't made for us, I don't think. We're all gonna go home. <laughs> yeah, like you creep. <laughs> this, That's fantastic. That movie's a trip. We, we just we need wave to talk goodbye. About yeah, there there is so much to talk about with the original Willy Wonka movie. Uh, lawsuits everywhere right exactly yeah mm-hmm. maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll bring back the old freeze frame for a Willy Wonka review yeah there you go by the time this comes out I, I there's no date on this or anything like that I would assume it's on track for like 2023 or something like that so look out for that when <laughs> the Wonka origin story graces theaters Ugh. okay let's move on to movies we're actually looking forward to <laughs> Edgar Wright he hasn't directed a movie since 2017's Baby Driver he's returning this fall, with Last Night in Soho, we got a quick look at the teaser trailer for his latest. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Just listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Downtown, things will be great when you're downtown. No fun. Do you believe in ghosts? If you don't know what Baby Driver is, Edgar Wright also responsible for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and The World's End. And probably most notably, because it's had a bit of a revival in the last couple of weeks, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, this doesn't look like any of those movies. Not at all. <laughs> yes. Which makes me pretty excited, actually. Uh, it stars two of, I think what you would say, are two of the biggest watch their star over the next 10 years because they might be A-listers in the same way Jennifer Lawrence skyrocketed a couple years ago actresses that was a very wordy way of saying that thomas and mckenzie and anya taylor joy have had excellent careers over the past three to four years uh thomas and mckenzie best known for jojo rabbit i would say she also is very good and leave no trace uh and anya taylor joy queen's gambit is her big thing uh also known for her role in emma she was in the witch a uh, really great horror movie oh, in 2016 that. so these two kind of playing parallels of each other, it looks like. A young woman who is passionate about fashion design, that's Thomas and Mackenzie, mysteriously enters London in the 1960s when she encounters her idol, that's Anya Taylor-Joy, a dazzling wannabe singer. In 1966, London is not what it seems. Time seems to fall apart with shady consequences. I knew that this was going to have like a period piece horror film vibe to it, but 
Jake, let's start with you. I mean, there is some time manipulation stuff going on here that I was not expecting. Do you think Edgar Wright is going to be able to pull this off? I hit that's the easiest alley oop that I could ever give you. Oh Jesus Christ! I'm <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> He's got such a unique and fun style every time. Like even if his movies aren't perfect, like I personally think, oh boy, I personally think Shaun of the Dead is a little overrated, as good as it is. It's just not my favorite from him, like it is some people's. Um, so is it overrated, or is it just not your favorite? I think it's a, a bit of a combo. I just I I think people overhype it a little bit, but although I still think it's good. I think it, the World's End is also good, but I love Hot Fuzz. I love Baby Driver. I love Scott Pilgrim versus the World. That one grew on me quite a bit. And a lot of the time, people say comedy and horror go really well together, hence Jordan Peele. So he's got comedic timing down, but he's also got action and stunt and choreography. He's got just excellent timing, and he's wildly creative. And I love when people can dabble in horror like that. Um, so I'm, even if it's a psychological horror or, you know, or whatever his unique blend is going to be, I think getting him to do a horror movie is like, it's like a dream. I love when directors can do stuff like this. So I'm super excited. We already know he's talented. He's got a unique mind. I'm very, very excited. I think this is going to be good. He's got some rising, really good rising actresses. I think this is going to be really, really good. I'm very excited. I love when directors can jump in and out of different genres. And that wasn't something really that Edgar Wright did for the first part of his career. Actually, you know what? No, I'm going to take that back. That's an absolutely false statement. Because I'm thinking of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End as uniformly comedies. But, they, but they're but they all very distinctly different genres. Like mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz is a cop movie, a cop action movie, and it satirizes that while also having that weird off-brand British humor. And they all they all dabble in thriller a little bit to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you could Nate, you could say he's been training for this for a while. And just the I mean, the aesthetics of everything here are fairly mesmerizing to me. I don't know how what kind of impression you got from it. Mhm. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one because when we come to this podcast, I'm usually the horror adverse one of the three of us. <laughs> Mr. Scaredy Cat Nate over here. <laughs> um but this this looks fun. At least from the trailer, it felt like the spookier elements, the hands coming out of the ground and the freaky eyes and whatnot. It's very much the psychological horror and less the I'm trying to scare you horror. It's about mm-hmm. trying to like figure out what the hell is going on and less so much I want you to pee your pants in the movie theaters watching this. So this is this is my brand of horror. I would love to see this do well and I'm definitely intrigued um, as a Chris Nolan fan too. Time manipulation, sign me up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love it when a movie makes me think. I love it when a movie is able to tell concurrent stories at the same time. So whatever the hell is going on here with this time time travel stuff, go for it. <laughs> wow me. I love Scott Pilgrim vs. World. That's easily my favorite Edgar Wright movie. And I think there's one aspect that both of you guys haven't brought up yet that I love Edgar Wright for is that he can time his movies to music like nobody else uh baby driver's so good at that and the premise is literally about a singer here so there could be some really great set pieces in here almost like a musical but trippy and weird and it's got some horror elements to it so color me excited i like this well that kind of leads into what i was going to say nate which is this is an impeccably edited trailer we don't give the people who edit the trailers as much props sometimes we talk about the content of what we're seeing but the way that the beats hit here 
uh, are mm-hmm. really strong. And really, if even if I wasn't already excited for this based on my Edgar Wright love, there, there would be something here for me that would pique my interest and make me ready to go see this. The set design here and the colors, it just, it looks like an exploitative 1960s, 1970s horror movie like Rosemary's Baby or Carrie or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Looks mm. like some great shots. Yeah, Carrie's a good comparison. I like that. You know, it, the actors on these things don't matter as much as the director. Edgar Wright is the number one star, but it really is good to see Anya continue her role here. And Thomason, who is a little probably behind Anya in terms of her rise to stardom, I, I think this is going to be huge for her. I think it's very clear yeah. that she is the protagonist here. And I'm glad that she's getting a little bit of shine. There's some fun little supporting cast stuff that I didn't even go into. Matt Smith, who continues his post-Doctor Who career with some very interesting roles. He looks like he's a lot of fun here. The late Diana Rigg is in this, uh, who played Olena Tyrell. Oh. Best known to people who didn't start focusing on film and TV in the last 10 years as a James Bond girl from the 1960s. Um, for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, which there's a reference to James Bond in the trailer. Very quickly, Thomas and McKenzie is walking up towards a Thunderball poster uh, up on the screen. And this looks like a very oh, yeah, authentic. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, that, I think definitely a little bit of a reference and tribute to Diana Rigg there. Um, this looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It is certainly one of the most anticipated movies of the year for me. So I'm very, very excited to see him pull this off. Likewise. Uh, he has not made a movie below Plush Recliner for me. Uh, and he has like two or three royal thrones. So let's see. I'm very excited. Yeah, I I don't even need another trailer. I could buy my ticket tonight. Like I'm good. I'm 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 ready. <laughs> yeah, I tweeted that exact thing, Jake. Yeah. Oh, did I, you? Like, completely agree. It's like yeah. all you had to do was show me his name at the beginning. You didn't have to show me the rest of the trailer. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> excited. Yeah, from one huge director to another, uh, in a very different way, and a much bigger movie here. We now have seen looks at three of the four Marvel movies that are coming out this year. We got our first tease of Eternals earlier this week. It's beautiful, isn't it? We have watched unguided, unseen them accomplish wonders. We have never interfered until now. And it when you said goodbye. Chloe Zhao, still polishing that Oscar. Uh, she directed Eternals. This movie was Originally supposed to come out last November. It is coming out this November instead for this little thing called the pandemic. Uh, ever heard of it? <laughs> That's why that happened. This will be the 26th MCU Jeez. movie. And like I said, the third of four this year. It's It's got a stacked cast. Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, Kit Harington, Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie are the headliners. I don't know a lot about the Eternals, and I think that's probably a very commonplace thing for a lot of common MCU fans. Um, so let me just read the synopsis here. After an unexpected tragedy following the events of Avengers Endgame, which already that kind of gets my attention because what would be the tragedy? Are they sad about Thanos? But okay. 
All right, the Eternals, an immortal alien race created by the Celestials who have secretly lived on Earth for over 7,000 years, reunite to protect humanity from their evil counterparts, the Deviants. We don't get a lot of context to any of that in this trailer. Uh, it's just kind of like the actors wearing their cool costumes and posing and walking around in some gorgeous cinematography. Yeah. So that's hard to kind of grasp, which is why I think there was a little pushback in our pre-show talk uh, about talking about this because there's not a lot to go on here. But at the same time, I think there is something to say, say for what kind of vibe you're getting from this and what does that mean for general audiences who, I mean, you don't need any convincing to see a Marvel movie anymore, but like Shang-Chi came right out of the gate with a very action-heavy trailer and this didn't do that. So, Nate, what do you think of the Eternals trailer? Yeah, this is a weird one for me. I'm not, like, obviously I'm going to see this movie. We we don't need to mince words about that. We're definitely going to see and review this at some point. (laughs) But if I wasn't a Marvel fan, this, this would take another trailer to probably get me in the seat. Like, compare this to the Last Night in Soho trailer, which is just so full of energy. This one is a lot more about characters, which is weird, because we don't know any of the characters yet. And obviously, you you get the, the landscape shots that Drew just mentioned. Um, the ship does look really, really cool, um, going over this ancient human civilization, like, just post-caveman, it looks like, or whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see what these characters are and if they really are like mini gods or uh, demigods or whatever. Like, how do you make those compelling characters without seeing all high and mighty, you know? Yeah. So that's that's going to be that's going to be a challenge. Um, I'm excited to see what they do with it. Um, and I hope this ends up being one of Marvel's great great new additions to the to the pantheon of MCU movies now and not just a failed experiment because this definitely does seem really different. Yeah, and kind of actually going back to the Last Night in Soho trailer, there appears to be some kind of time manipulation going on here, at least in terms of not in the same way where it's bendy and twisty, but it, it seems like this takes place over a long period of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Nate a, a little bit. The trailer was like cool. There was some gorgeous cinematography. Again, to me, Kelly kind of felt like what Marvel's been so excellent at for a, a full decade now, showing us new people, new stuff, getting us excited, and yet not showing us a whole lot at all. I couldn't tell you much about this trailer other than that, like, looks cool. Cinematography looks gorgeous. I think it's cool they got Angelina Jolie in a Marvel movie. I don't think I was expecting mm-hmm. that up until she was and cast. And blonde. Yeah. I don't know why I was so surprised about the blonde, <laughs> but she is. <laughs> I would say the, the thing I'm... I'm most excited for is, like Nate said, new characters. Marvel just makes us love all of their characters somehow. They're brilliant at that. But Chloe Zhao, who directed Nomadland, Oscar Oscar winner, like Andrew said, um, I'm very curious to see what she does with this because I loved Nomadland. I thought it was excellent. And as far as... So the, the premise is like, oh, we've been sitting back without interfering. I get that to an extent, but when you watch, it's not like Thanos just showed up and destroyed everybody. He had a whole plan and he was executing it step by step. So when you watch that happen and watch the universe get kind of wiped out and you just sit back and go, huh, I kind of need an explanation. So they have a little (laughs) bit of explaining to do. I'm curious about that. I'm curious to see what threat they face. Because like Nate said, if they're all a bunch of gods in some way or another, what is the threat here? Um, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions, but I don't have a lot of doubts. So I'm excited for this one as well. 
Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that explanation too much. I am sure that they're going to go into that pretty in depth. The fact that they name drop Avengers Endgame in the synopsis makes me yeah. think that's going to be something they deal with head on. Like what we're going to have to see here in terms of tone and vibe. This definitely was a big like t- just take a look at this, see what it looks like trailer with yeah. the exception of that joke at the end, uh which directly name drops Iron Man and Captain America. I think like that probably was like Kevin Feige watched the trailer and was like, I, this all looks great, Chloe, but we need, or whoever edited it, Chloe's friend, Jim, or whatever. <laughs> like, this, this all looks great. This all looks awesome. I think it's going to be a great movie, but we need to, like, can we mention the fact that, like, Spider-Man happens to be hanging out yeah, <laughs> in New we York gotta, City? we got to still put the Marvel spin on this oh, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, so that, I think that was yeah. definitely a pointed note uh, from the MCU executives after seeing the trailer before they let this yeah. thing be released. We're Marvel, we swear. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't have a lot more to add. I think I've been excited for this ever since they even announced Chloe Zhao based on reputation alone, and then I saw Nomadland and I got more excited. Uh, and the cast may be the most diverse ethnically mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, just, like, vibe-wise. Obviously, you've got Angelina Jolie, but you got Salma Hayek. You've got Gemma Chan playing her second Marvel movie. Uh, pop quiz, which Marvel movie is she in besides this one? It adds a different character. Silence. People didn't do the research. Yeah, I got nothing. I don't remember. She's uh, <laughs> in Captain Marvel. She's the alien of Jude Law's team who goes up against Brie Larson. Um, oh. So she's playing a completely different character here. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Remind me not, not to invite you guys to trivia. Shake my head. <laughs> uh, we've got a swole Kumail Nanjiani. got Brian Tyree Henry playing the first out-and-out gay MCU hero uh oh, which i'm cool. sure is something that they'll mention a lot on the press junket uh again not something you could get from this trailer no. uh but i'm sure they will go more into this and we will get more looks as black widow comes out i'm assuming this trailer will be attached to black widow we'll probably get a new one in front of shang chi yeah we're gonna see these trailers a lot <laughs> and then we will have eternals and hopefully it'll be a packed opening night uh because people are back and movies are back Movies are so bad, guys. I'm. I thank, thank God. Goodness. And this this weekend for me is like the official return for movies. You know what I mean? Like full yeah. stop. This weekend, as of when we're recording, because we've got a Quiet Place Part Two, which is tracking very well. We've got Cruella, uh, which is you know a movie. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and then after this weekend, it's just nonstop big ones: The Conjuring, In the Heights. Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife, Fast 9, Black Widow, all of them in a row. We had like Godzilla vs. Kong in March, but then Big Gap. This mm. is all leading in to me talking about what might be like our final like big streaming review for a while. That'll do it for news. Let's get into Netflix's and Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Mr. Ward. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath the strip. This should be a simple in and out. They're not what you think they are. They're smarter. They're faster. They're organized. Oh, Scheiße. You got As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, this is the second Zack Snyder movie we are reviewing in the last few weeks. Of course, we talked about his version 
of Justice League, quote unquote his version, as opposed to quote unquote the one that wasn't his version, the one he <laughs> claims he never watched. But that's enough on that. Army of the Dead is something completely different. It's a return to original filmmaking for him, probably the first time I believe since Sucker Punch in 2011. I think that's correct. I'm trying to think. Yeah, because it was Man of Steel, it was Batman v Superman, and then it was regular Justice League. Uh, and this is him returning to his zombie roots. He kind of broke onto the scene as a filmmaker in 2004 with the Dawn of the Dead remake, which a lot of people enjoyed. I think that's the only movie of his I have not seen. So I cannot comment on how that relates to this film. Uh, but this is an entirely original story that he wrote with a lot of mythology that he is supporting with prequel comics and prequel movies. And blah, 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 blah. Pretty much, yeah. Bas- the, the basic <laughs> premise is that Las Vegas is overrun with a zombie invasion based on the transportation of a zombie that goes awry. A group of mercenaries have to help a lot of the people get out of there. They eventually seal off Las Vegas behind these uh, shipping containers, one of them featuring my dad's company, Hatback Lloyd. Very nice to see them protecting the uh, (laughs) world from the zombie apocalypse. This feels like the sequel to a movie that we never saw or we haven't seen yet uh, because it's about Dave Bautista, Scott Ward, and a bunch of other mercenaries, one played by Omar Hardwick, uh, one played by Tig Notaro, one played by a variety of other actors that you've probably seen before but don't know their names. They are contracted by a businessman, I believe, named Tanaka. Does that sound correct? I think it's Tanaka, right? Uh, Played by somebody from Mortal Kombat, Hiroki Sonata, uh, which we saw a couple weeks ago. They're contracted to go back into Las Vegas, open this vault, get $200 million from a casino vault, and get out of there before the United States government decides to nuke Las Vegas and wipe it off the face of the map to get rid of the zombies once and for all. And when they get into the zombie-infested Las Vegas, there are little twists on the zombie genre that we haven't seen before. There are different tiers of zombies. There's the idiotic ones. There are smart, fast-thinking ones. There are some other surprises that we'll talk about. Some of them are in the trailer. Some of them are not. But this is Zack Snyder going back to big, epic, slow-mo, soft-focus action, over-the-top filmmaking that isn't connected to anything else. This is 100% his vision. And that could be for better, that could be for worse. Uh, I think a lot of us are ready for him to move on from DC, so I think that's Uh already a net positive. But does that make this movie good? Jake Hensler, what did you think of Army of the Dead? I'm fine with him stepping away from DC. I'm actually pretty cool with it. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I, I thought this was this was pretty good. It's it's not without its flaws, but it's pretty good. It's it's mostly fun. It's got some it's got some solid action. Doesn't shy away from blood. I was pleasantly surprised with its guts. No pun intended. As far as murdering people, like not not zombies, like actual characters. I was like, oh, okay, good for you. I appreciate when movies actually do that and and do it well, nonetheless. So I give him props there. And yeah, other than Man of Steel, which I think is pretty good. I think his his best movies are outside of DC, so I'm I'm not gonna get started there. But well, yes, yes and no for me personally. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, you're good. The fir- the first movie I thought of was Watchmen, which is still technically DC. Mm-hmm. But you mean the DCEU? Okay, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't count Watchmen there. So I like Watchmen is really good. I think 300 is pretty good. I thought and I thought Army of Dead was pretty good. Um, I think some some of the acting was good. I think it was hit or miss. Uh, generally, I like the action. My issues really come with the plot, and it, I think it's a little too long, which hurts its rewatchability factor. I think this movie could be a lot more fun, or at least more rewatchable, 
if you cut it down to like a 2-2-10, but it's pushing 2-30, and that, for a zombie movie and an action movie, that hurts it a little bit, but I will say I like that the action's in the daylight, and yeah, some of this is will be much more easy to talk about in spoilers when we can get into details, but yeah, I think it's 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 got its good, it's got its bad, it's worth watching, but I wouldn't say it's anything amazing. Uh, something I forgot to mention in my kind of preamble setup is that this is one of probably one of Netflix's biggest movies of all time in terms of just scope and scale. Yeah, uh, a big so get. this is a significant moment for them. Uh, we'll have to track how it's doing in terms of watchability. But, you know, getting a caliber director of Snyder to work with them is big for Netflix and Nate. And I think the reason he probably wanted to go there is because he gets all the creative control. But does that pay off for you? As a noted Zack Snyder skeptic, Den- we'll say. We're not going to say denier. We'll say skeptic. <laughs> we'll be nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, directed by Zack Snyder. Screenplay by Zack Snyder. Both those things check out. And <laughs> the big one is story by Zack Snyder. And this one definitely checks out there. Um, also, uh, also cinematography by Zack Snyder as well. Uh, I got Which I give him props Whatever. for. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's always had a good eye for action. Mm-hmm. The story department is where he tends to lack, and this movie has a big black stain on the story factor for me. I love this premise. The premise of like having to go in and rob a bank, but the bank is overrun by zombies, in this case a whole city full, is a really cool novel idea. And even like the first five minutes of this movie where like they set up how this outbreak happened... It's a really cool short film in its own right. It's well, mm-hmm. pretty well done. But the rest of this movie is a mess of a plot. And to be honest, I didn't have much fun with this at all. It's way too long for its own good to the point where I was bored and I just wanted the characters to start dying already. <laughs> uh, and there's a handful of characters that, yes, it's a pseudo-horror movie. I don't know if you really count zombie movies as pure horror. It's more gore than scares. I don't know. Action thriller, I guess. Yeah. In either case, I understand that the genre comes with some stupid-ass decisions, but there are some just flagrantly dumb movie <laughs> moments in this thing that I'm, I'm not, I wasn't even laughing about how stupid they were. I was just frustrated. And that's not where I wanted to be with this movie. I did not have a good time with this. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. So I, I made a prediction beforehand, and uh, I, I was indeed correct. <laughs> I, I, he, he's not hard to figure out with some of these. <laughs> so, yeah, so sometimes I can get him. <laughs> it also helps that his girlfriend texted me halfway through today and said that the movie was trash. So I'm like, wow, I wonder if somebody had an influence on that. <laughs> I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if watching it with a certain person made certain issues come to light um, I think I liked it better than Nate but I do not like this movie very much I'm uh, the high man on a Snyder film? yes wow. you are yes you are wow. this is not the first time Jake no I don't think it is either not even this year <laughs> I was not the high man on Justice League I was, I was I? higher I think I was probably higher you were a little bit Justice higher League, I think. but not, not a ton higher <laughs> no <laughs> the, the, bi- the big problem this movie has is one that a lot of original, interesting concepts have. It teases a better movie than the one that we get. I think, mm-hmm. and they have already said that they are going to make a prequel movie that shows how everything happened in Las Jesus Vegas uh, with different characters. 
I believe it's gonna star one of the people from Game of Thrones. Yeah, Nathalie Emmanuel, who is best known as Missandre, Missandei, or whatever however you say her name from Game of Thrones. She'll be the lead in that. She's also in the Fast and Furious movies. So they're making that movie. That is the movie I wanted to see, especially with the fantastic opening credit sequence. If there's one thing Zack Snyder can do really well, it's opening credit sequences. Because the movie peaks there for me in terms of just style and flavor and just seeing what happened in Las Vegas. Um, shows a lot of its best hand early. And then we're stuck with for two and a half hours with characters that are weakly written, um, weakly introduced. There are a couple of them. Nate says there are a handful of characters uh, that are disposable. I would I would argue there are two handfuls of characters that are disposable. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are introduced in the same way that Slipknot was introduced in the Suicide Squad, uh, <laughs> where you're kind of like they get they got two lines. I, I'm guessing they're not going to make it, um, <laughs> and that would be that would be fine if the movie pays off on its setup. And there are some interesting zombie designs here and some pretty decent moments of action, but these characters are written in a way where they don't even care about their own safety, so why should I care about their safety? You know? Ding, ding, ding. That That's a that's a big problem for me. You know, they're supposed to be like these, I've got nothing to lose, mercenaries, you know what I mean? But it also it also just comes off as apathetic. They're putting themselves in danger for reasons that, right. that, that don't feel great. And so you compound all of that. The action is, like you said, Jake, that's a very good point that I didn't even think of. The daytime action is very much appreciated. The lit-up casino rooms are very much appreciated. There are some cool moments. I will not dispute that. But this is Zack Snyder, again, getting closer and closer to his eventual evolution of the next Michael Bay, which I think he already is kind of there. But this is such – some of the humor is so childish, some of the overt sexism, some of the in-your-face editing, some of the, the needle drops with the soundtrack. My girlfriend and I watched this movie – and she was like, why are these covers so ass? And I was like, well, you haven't seen a Zack Snyder movie, so you wouldn't know. <laughs> Be happy Hallelujah's not here it's by Leonard Cohen. Yeah. It's, that, uh, um, it's that James Fra- James Franco meme, oh, first time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's what it was for her. I, don't, I think she saw 300 a while ago, but she is not in tune to what's happening right now mm. in Snyder. And, and this is disappointing because I, I was ready to champion – him doing something else, but this this was not it for me. So, Jacob, defend yourself a little bit here. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. I guess I had that issue with the characters, too. There comes a point where, like, they have to divvy up the money a certain way, so some characters are getting, like, 30 grand. And I'm like, 30 grand? That doesn't even put off my student loans. I'm not going into zombie-infested city for that. Like, <laughs> and at first I was like, all right, maybe they could paint it in some way with the Jurassic Park thing. Like, they don't totally know what they're getting into, but that wasn't the case. They all know they're going into zombie-infested streets with not that much money at stake. And I get, like... So, like, the kid who's who's going to uh, break into the bank, it's the most challenging bank vault ever to open. Fine, I get your motivation there, but still not with zombies, man. Like, they're going to rip your face off. For 30k and a challenge, still not worth it, so... Oh, Andrew asked me to defend myself. Yeah, I was so going to say, have, I yeah. asked you to defend it. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> so so I guess I just had a little bit more fun with it. I still enjoy the action, and I, I, even though you're right, they didn't care about their own safety, I still felt like some of them got enough screen time where I didn't mind them. I thought, what's his name? He played Shades in, in Luke Cage. I thought he sucked ass. I did not like him at all. He's, he sucks ass on a lot of things except for Luke Cage. Yeah, that's the only thing I was familiar <laughs> with him with, so I like him there, but I thought he was just downright bad here. 
so I guess that I guess that was the main thing. It it is too long, but I didn't feel like it slogged, and I just I generally had fun with the premise and the idea behind it. Um, but the story wasn't working for me either. So I guess I just that's the extent of it. I had a little bit more fun than you guys did. Yeah, I, I was gonna ask like which characters did work for you because. Like, Dave Batista only half worked. Same. Whenever he was doing an action piece, it was okay because he wasn't trying to delve into the deepness of his character, quote unquote. But anytime he was talking to any other character, I was just, nope, skip. Oh my God, the scene's still going on. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we still here? Zombies, please. That leads into a different problem for me, which is the movie has these great highs, or not great, good highs of action moments, but the pacing is all over the place. There, there are characters talking in moments that are supposed to be urgent, and we'll get into that in spoilers. But That was very, one of my big problems. Right. They put yeah. a very specific clock on something, and the movie still continues to have downtime moments yes. when they should have been doing this in the setup, especially in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. There's no excuse for not having the time to set these characters up, and there are relationships between these characters that are brought up at inopportune moments that just like we should have known this an hour ago for me to care about <laughs> yeah. how they how they relate yeah. to each other. T- terrible placing. Yes. That's that's the word. I I didn't care about anything that was happening to these characters because they're written in such a way that their motivations are dumb or they're just bad people and I just want to see them get eaten by a zombie. Or it's like, oh by the way, this thing Oh, uh, now we gotta go. <laughs> like, also, some why? of their some of their qualifications for being there are very suspect. Like also one that. of them, one of them is recruited just because he posted like a viral YouTube video of him killing zombies, and it's like this is a major mission. And see, I actually like, liked what, him. <laughs> Nate Nate can do that in Photoshop. Like, how do we know <laughs> that he actually killed all these zombies? Like, that was actually a character that I liked. Yeah, he he worked slightly better because he was silly. All the serious characters. And I I expected less from him, so he surprised me. I was like, oh, we got we got a, a viral TikToker on this mission. That's stupid. But he actually he holds his own and he cares about people. He's trying to be helpful. Like he's got a moral compass a little bit. So I was like, um, okay, you're better than I thought you would be. I had the most fun with the guy they bring in to crack the safe. The actor's name is unpronounceable, so I'm not even gonna try. But the character's <laughs> name is Ludwig Dieter. Yeah. Uh, and I thought he had a good rapport going with Amari Hardwick's character. Um, who I also yeah, enjoyed. That was is that is that the buzzsaw guy? Yes. That, See, I I, I kind of like both of them as well. Yeah, they paired them together for a while, and I thought that was working. But then we would cut to other characters, and some of that stuff wasn't working. They bring the security guard or secu- head of security for Tanaka yeah. along with them, and it's like yeah. it's very clear from the beginning that there's no reason to trust him, and there's no yeah. reason for them to not kill him immediately. I don't, I don't know. It just it felt like waiting for a shoe to drop when I already lost my sock. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, a lot of this didn't work for me. Clearly, it didn't work very well for Nate. Uh, J- Jake, I'm glad you had a little bit more fun because there are people having fun with this. It has more positive reviews than it doesn't. I think it's his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes since um, maybe maybe since Owls of Gahul, uh, <laughs> which was 2010. That's crazy. Yeah, I think it has a 70. Yep, exactly 70. Uh, so clearly Nate and I are below that margin. Let's get into our ratings and then we can kind of go more into specifics of what Jake liked and what Nate and I tolerated, I guess. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we review movies based on the seat scale here on the Middle Seats podcast. If we think a movie is perfect, we give it a royal throne. 
If we think a movie is great with very minimal flaws, plus recliner, think a movie is good with some decent-sized flaws, uh, wooden seat. If we think a movie is not very good but has little bright spots, damp lawn chair. And if we think a movie is awful, even if it has a couple of okay things, it's a sleazy outhouse. Uh, Bag of popcorn moniker we often give to movies that we think you should see in the theater. That does apply for some people. This is playing in some select theaters, but not nearly enough to justify talking about whether you should see it on a big screen. So home is your option. Should you watch it at home? Nate Lungarini, what's your rating? All right. Yeah, I'll give the one disclaimer that I'm definitely not the target audience for this movie. I don't really like horror, and I don't like... I'm not huge on gore either. So already zombie movies have a kind of cap. That said, everything that we've been talking about just made this movie miserable for me to watch. I'm going all the way to Sleazy Outhouse with this one. I did not have fun. Oh, geez. Okay. I really was trying to think over the course of the last 24 hours, like, redeeming moments. It's the first five minutes of the movie and, like, one surprising thing toward the end that I didn't see coming. And that does not justify even a damp lawn chair rating for me. This movie is way too long for its own good. If it was a 90-minute or even, like, a two-hour, I might feel a little bit better about it. But there's just so much crap that you have to sit through to get any kind of enjoyment out of this. If you're not a fan of the genre like I am not, you are going to have an awful time with this movie. So I'm going to stick to my guns here and go, Sleazy Outhouse, stay away. (laughs) Out of the two Snyder movies this year to get the Sleazy Outhouse moniker, I would have not have picked this one. Yeah, same. I think Zack Snyder, like, pissed in his cereal. Also, also (laughs) valid. Jake, go ahead. Yeah, I'm... I'm higher, but not that high. I'm I'm wooden sea territory, and uh, yeah, I just I guess I had more fun than Nate. His, I I can't dispute basically any of his any of his complaints. I I hear them and I nod. I think it just comes down to that I had more fun, and I'm not bothered by gore really. You have, because for me, like if you go over the top with gore, I just recognize that it's over the top. I don't. I'm not really bothered by it. So, I didn't have some of those issues, but agreed, it's too long. There came a point where we were still introducing characters, and I was kind of like, really. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess we'll just see them die then. Whatever. We'll get into the, the story issues that we have in, in spoilers. But I thought it was fine. As far as like a zombie action movie goes, it was just fine. You know? But I probably won't watch it again anytime soon. And again, the length is too long too. It would be it would be better if they cut like a, at least 15, maybe 20 minutes out of it. But Zack Snyder likes long stuff for no reason. So It, it can probably even be shorter than two hours and 10 minutes. It could probably be an hour and 50 minutes if we're being completely honest. Yeah. hundred percent. They don't do enough with the mythology. They don't do enough with the characters to make it worth it. I'm going to split the difference. I'll go damp lawn chair. If, if you did have a theater option, I still don't think it would be worth it because the movie is so long. You know, it's not laugh out loud, funny at points or anything like that. I no. there. There were too many significant issues and there wasn't quite enough fun or intriguing things to distract from the significant issues that I had with it. That's, that's always the balance with these movies that fluctuate from the wooden seat to damp lawn chair section. Wooden seat, a lot of the time, like, let's let's go back to, like, Mortal Kombat. I gave Mortal Kombat a wooden seat because I had a lot of fun with the action and thought the action was well choreographed and it was tightly paced. It was quick. It was over under two hours. Um, so any of the big story problems that I had with it, I was able to just kind of push to the wayside or at least forgive a little bit more. This is so long and this is so unnecessarily in your face and obnoxious at points that I'm just kind of like, yeah, not for me. 
it's not working. And then from there, it kind of snowballs where I'm just rolling my eyes, a lot of the plot stuff and a lot of the overacting. Let, let's be clear. I, I like Zach's, some of Zack Snyder's work. I am not a hater of his. Uh, I, I have defended him even when I shouldn't. I, I think Man of Steel gets more of a bad rap than it should. I think Watchmen is slept on a little bit. I think 300 is fun. Just like it's not working right now for me, though. It reminds me a lot of like David Ayer when he did Bright a couple of years ago, which that movie was awful. But it's like this ambitious concept that just doesn't work. And you just have to acknowledge that it doesn't work. And these directors need to make course corrections, uh, which they won't because they don't get notes anymore because Zack Snyder has become too big to get notes. And that's what the Snyder cut enables and so on and so forth. Anyway, Dan Blanc chair. So we split. Wow. We split three ways on this. Nate, this is your second cool. sleazy outhouse all time, right? I believe. Yep. The only other one was uh, the Predator. <laughs> right. He spared Doolittle, huh? I'm baffled that Geos that you have Geostorm higher and Doolittle higher there. But. Yeah, he, he spared Geostorm <laughs> and Doolittle. I know Jake and I did not spare Doolittle, but I can't remember if I gave any other sleazy out. No, I definitely did Geostorm. Uh, anyway, let's get into spoilers. If you have not seen Army of the Dead, uh, tune out now. If you have, join us in our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So I think for me, there were a lot of little things that annoyed me, but the one big plot decision that annoyed me because it completely changes the context of the movie and changes the context of how the thing is paced is just when out of nowhere, and it's supposed to be like a ha-ha unstable president joke, tee-hee, they just change the timeline of when the nuke is coming to Las Vegas. This is my big thing too. It's just like, <laughs> I get that they're trying to make it like give the ticking clock at the end. You know, they're trying to put 90 minutes on the clock. You have 90 minutes to get out. They're going to get out within the last 90 seconds. And most of them are probably not going to make it. Okay, that that's fine. But sensibly, it does not make sense to me. The movie doesn't act like it exists because Dave Bautista and character who he seems to like Maria Cruz played by Ana de la Riguera or whatever. Uh, they're apparently in love now and they're talking about that right now and he's talking about his tofu restaurant with his daughter who I found really f***ing annoying. Cut the shit. He's still like, walking. Yeah. <laughs> Stop walking. You have 90 minutes. Run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god. That was my I big was thing so too. I was so mad. I was so mad. As soon as they announced that and then they, they open the safe and they're celebrating... And then they're talking about relationships and like Andrew said, the tofu, I was like, absolutely not. Move, run. The money's not even important anymore. The money's not important if you get decimated. Like, but if you need the money, I get it, but go. <laughs> My goodness, run. You are all talking and hanging out way too much. Like, it's a nuke. Yeah. <laughs> oh the only person with any kind of urgency in that section is the guy cracking the safe. Because at least he is like, I'm going to get this done in 30 minutes, you know? He puts a clock mm-hmm. on it, and the rest of them are just standing there. Like, one, two of them just go mm-hmm. out, and, of course, the security for Tanaka, you, you find out he actually wants a zombie head, which, by the way, these, these zombies have been here for years, but nobody went in to get a zombie head at any point. Like, mm-hmm. And they, they could have gotten the zombie head in the first 30 minutes of the movie, and he could have just walked out. Why risk going through Zombie City to the vault and just... Walk outside the freaking town. Come yeah. On. My my only wonder was was maybe they wanted an alpha head. That's why they went for the princess. But even okay, then. Okay, great. Get the alpha head and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> why are you going to the vault if you don't care about the money? And I also don't understand why that had to be a secret. 
Like, it's, I don't think anybody would have stopped yeah, him. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I totally don't understand that either. I to- mm. totally don't. Pay like, him what? 500 grand or whatever and just get the zombie head. Right. Don't yeah. make it a weird betrayal scene for no reason. Uh, as much as all this stuff pissed me off, I think the biggest arc that pissed me off the most was, A, the inclusion of Dave Bautista's daughter, and B, her decision process through the entire movie. Yeah is the most idiotic I've seen a character on screen in a very long time. She did not need to come into the city. They did not need to make this whole subplot of her trying to get one person out. And she definitely should not have left when a nuke's going off in less than an hour to go find some random chick. I'm yeah. sorry. Get over yourself. That was such a dumb plot line. No, I'm, I'm with you there. Well, By the way, uh, going back to the nuke timeline because it ties in well with there. There are still refugees outside of the wall. So now they only have 90 minutes to get out of there. Like, we get the f- out of here with this. Like, yeah, it's a dumb idea. And <laughs> that's where the movie falls apart is as soon as the plot is in motion, the premise is over, the pitch is done. We actually have to sit down and make the movie. Zack Snyder's story completely falls in on itself. And there's just nothing coherent there anymore. Uh, I was saying after after this movie... I think Snyder definitely is a capable director. He's got a good eye for things, you know, and he's, he's got some cool shots and he gets some cool moments and, you know, he knows how to direct characters sometimes, but I think he really needs, he needs to stop solely writing his movies or he at least needs help. He needs help with his scripts because that is consistently where I have issues. Not to mention he, he overdoes things and makes them too long. Yeah, he needs to stop writing, period. I, I'm not even going to say he stopped solely writing because <laughs> he had help for all the DCEU movies. And those didn't work. So it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so much going on. I will say this about Zach. You guys are giving a little bit of praise to Snyder's, like, eye for direction and stuff. And, yes, some of the action scenes do look really cool. I do think that the actual final couple of shootouts are well done. But he over he overuses, like, soft focus uh, in a lot of parts. And that was distracting me. It was such a, like an unnecessary <laughs> yeah. technique where he's just using it. He finally let up on the slow-mo a little bit on this movie. I think it was like the right amount this yeah, time around. Yeah, yeah. But he replaced it with these soft focus shots where you can only see like half a person's face before everything else gets blurry. Yeah. Why? <laughs> that takes away a lot from all the good direction for me. Mm. You guys have been praising the action. And part of the reason I went Sleazy Outhouse is that All the action scenes, for as good as Snyder is supposed to be at this stuff, I didn't see any creative zombie kills or zombies killing people in this movie. Like, the only thing of note was the zombie tiger, I guess. But everything else, I've seen before. Like, I've seen somebody going through and shooting as many zombies as they can with a shotgun. That's not new. Yeah. No, I'm kind of with you. I think they were just... I don't think they were overly standout-ish or anything amazing. I think they were just consistently solid and consistently entertaining, you know, kept my eye, basically satisfactory. Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't, dis, I don't disagree that nothing was, like, eye-popping, but, like, I think some of the character moments, like, with the big buzzsaw, that guy was pretty fun. But he never used the buzzsaw to kill any zombies. <laughs> yeah, they, they use it on the they safe. They use it to cut open the wall. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> Didn't he go at... Like, very briefly at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I like the montage at the beginning, but nothing during the plot of the movie. Yeah, I can't think of any time either. I think that's correct, actually. I thought he did at the end, but maybe not. Uh, no, he, <laughs> do- he doesn't have the saw at the end. 
Remember? They take it away from him. The, the blonde girl takes it to break open the wall, like Nate was saying. Oh. Yeah, that also answered. That also asks another question for me, which is he, they lock him inside the safe to save his life. How does he get out? Like, how? <laughs> how does he get out? Why is he not turning into a zombie immediately when everybody else has? Yeah. And why did he not die of nuclear radiation just walking out and prancing around in dead Las Vegas? So many moments of just like, I'll give you one or two movie mo- magic moments where you can just forget reality exists for a second. But there's there's just too much. There was a line five dumb decisions ago, and this movie runs past it. Yeah. That also goes back to the movie's too long, where that's that's such an unnecessary epilogue. It's it's just there to set up maybe like a Mexico City sequel, which like, mm-hmm. are you doing the prequel or are you doing the sequel? Are you doing both? Because I, I don't yeah. know how many of these we need, but... Obviously, I guess some people are enjoying it. it. Like, Jamie, well, there. since when does Hollywood care what we need? <laughs> True. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, very interesting to me that you brought up Sean Spicer earlier. I assume that was spurred by his cameo in this, right? Actually, no. I just thought he would generally because his 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 dry, I don't care about this kind of tone in his press conferences. I feel like could be so funny in an ironic way in movies. You can call him his thing entertaining, but I wouldn't call him dry. He's notoriously melting down on stage. But he's like, he does, he always feels like he does not want to be there and he's always frustrated and like, doesn't know how to handle things. And so I feel like in in an ironic sense, he could be funny in a movie. Right. I I think he has too much baggage attached to him that I would ever feel happy seeing him in a role. But that's, that's a personal (laughs) preference thing. Well, you guys are also in news. I don't have that, that PTSD like you guys have. (laughs) I actually didn't think Dave Bautista was that good acting-wise. I was hoping for better. I, I thought he was by far the best of the cast, in my opinion, but I don't know if he was great. Yeah, if he was if he was being, like, team leader, like, I know what I'm doing and all you guys are idiots, that worked. Like, his charisma carries him through that. Anytime he was talking to his daughter character or um, his, I guess, love interest at the end there, that didn't work for me. But I think, honestly, that's more of an editing issue than a Dave issue because the scenes just went on for way too long. We got the point. Him and his daughter aren't getting along. We don't need to have this whole conversation. Right. I- I'm going to defend him a little bit. I think the editing point is a very good one. I think he does a pretty good job in this for what he's asked to do. Um, and I think that's, again, a testament to how much he's grown as an actor, too. Uh, because, yeah. I mean, we... We knew him as the funny guy Drax for so long, but he, between this and Blade Runner 2049 and even something like smaller, like Hotel Artemis, he's had these opportunities now to like show that he actually can do dramatic scenes if he needs to, or at the very least not be like embarrassingly mediocre in them. I thought he actually that sold makes me really excited well. for Dune too. Yes. Yeah. I think he sold his death scene pretty well as well. And that and, I agree with. That I agree with. Right. So that's like, mm. that's really yeah. his big moment besides the flashback where he stabs his wife in the head. Uh, which, by the way, I, like that's the reason they haven't been talking. Like, uh, it's a zombie apocalypse. Like, no, she made it very clear that wasn't the reason they stopped talking. If you paid attention right, to her monologue, yes, yes she uh, her stupid, stupid monologue. I'm sorry, <laughs> I I hated that character. the The daughter character was probably one of my least favorite on screen. And we just came back from Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> Although you know who I actually I did like. I kind of liked the pilot. I had fun with her. The helicopter yeah. pilot. Funny story about that one. Take it away there, Drew. Are you talking about Chris D'Elia? <laughs> yeah. So Chris D'Elia, who of course is a comedian that was like Justin Bieber's best friend and people found funny at a point. 
he was he was a pretty popular comedian, and he uh, has been canceled because of sexual abuse allegations. He originally played that character when they shot the movie. They reshot all of uh, his scenes with Tignatero, and most of the actors weren't there for it. Uh, so they used green screen, they used body doubles, uh, they used CGI. To put her wow. into the movie over the span of a couple of weeks, Zack Snyder said it took a couple of million dollars. And I agree. I, I actually think she did a nice job, especially given the circumstances. But she's so separate from everybody else in the movie for most of it that it's like she's acting off of herself. Yeah, there's a couple – like Dave Batista never met her in person. I think that article just came out this week as we we're recording. <laughs> um, and there's a couple times where he says a line to her. And she almost parrots the information verbatim, like they kind of wanted to make sure they could cover their bases and they weren't losing anything between the different actors. And mm. it shows just a little. If I didn't know as I was watching the movie, I probably wouldn't have picked up on it. But it is definitely funny in hindsight. Yeah. You know what else I I um I got a uh, I got entertainment out of, which it probably didn't work for you, Nate, because it was gory. Even even for me, I was like, oh, that was gorier than I thought it would be. The tiger kill I thought was pretty cool and pretty satisfying. That's what I expected. I wanted that. I wanted like the Mortal Kombat style kill, but it goes on forever to the point where I'm just, I'm not having fun watching this body flail around anymore. <laughs> it does go on for like two and a half minutes. It feels like, mm -hmm. it, it, maybe not yeah. actually, but it also feels true. that way. <laughs> like, I think the one kill that I I did like and was surprised by was the the neck snap when the alpha zombies come after the the vault and Batista's love interest gets her neck snapped. I genuinely was shocked during that moment. I was like, whoa, okay, that just happened. And see, that's funny, because I, I was shocked by it, but I didn't I didn't love that one. I thought it felt kind of... It felt stupid, because we just had this whole monologue with her about how she cares for him and all that, that stuff. Like, from a character standpoint, it was the stupidest way to kill that character off. Like, here's why you care about her. Now we kill her. <laughs> you got to let us warm up to her over the course of a 90-minute movie first. So Snyder also needs a good editor and a, and a new writer. <laughs> you guys didn't see that coming? <laughs> I Oh, I, I knew she was going to die. I didn't expect her to die immediately after she professed her love to him. Right. I saw the elevator ding. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm running out of things to say. You guys ready to wrap yeah, up? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much good. Jake, My, why don't you finish with final thoughts here? Yeah, positive then negative first, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, mildly positive. I just generally, I, I guess I had a good time with the action, though I, I did not defend myself very well, that's for sure. Nate went on and I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, I see your point, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know, I, I generally I had a pretty good time with this. I don't think it's anything great by any means, but maybe I had low expectations because I, I haven't cared for Snyder in almost a decade. I don't know. That being said, I, I liked some of it. I didn't like other parts of it. Uh, my main thing... To the point where I was like gesturing and kind of like silently but yelling at the TV was when they they upped the nuke clock and everybody's just kind of still celebrating over the money and talking way too much to the point where like did we forget that there was a nuke? If you're gonna do those scenes, do it before the nuke. Establish your characters then. Don't do it when there's adrenaline going. I don't know. Um, yeah, but that's that's basically final thoughts. I thought it was pretty good. I thought there was a lot of things that could have been better, but overall it was fine. I. Not overly interested in watching it again. It was just fine for what it was. Wooden seat. And I hope Snyder can take notes because I don't think he's, for a guy who's been around for a while, I think he does have potential, but he still needs a lot of work. <laughs> Nate, why don't I go next so we can do it kind of like a downward line chart? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Zack Snyder, I'm happy that you're trying something else. 
Uh, I, I do think that this seemed like a good fit uh, in terms of style and in terms of, you know, cojones and ambition. Uh, because he's not just he's not just a low budget horror director anymore. You know, he hasn't been since 300. So I'm glad that he tried to mix a genre with his big budget atmosphere. But again, this just reminds me a lot of the middle of the road, not insufferable, but middle of the road Michael Bay action movies where it has a lot of the same problems. Um, and I, yeah, I just didn't really enjoy myself too much. I, there's not a lot that I'm going to go back and like two weeks from now and be like, that was a standout moment. That was pretty cool. It was just, there were moments of cool that kind of blurred together amongst a f- pile of crap, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Uh, I will let Nate finish him off. <laughs> <laughs> Put the final ball right, in the brain. Shot coming up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this this movie was a slog to get through. Take apart the the runtime. Each individual scene just goes on for an extra minute longer than it needs to. Whether it's a zombie walking around the the streets of Vegas, whether it's a conversation that should have happened a long time ago, whether it's a death scene. We didn't even talk about some of the weirder parts of this movie that make no sense. Like zombies can apparently get pregnant now. And, oh wait, yeah, and that didn't that didn't uh, lead anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Snyder had a potentially good world here, and there are hints of something cooler within here, but this movie is just in a mess of itself to the point where I had no fun watching it. I did not like this movie. I do not recommend it, and I think you can get better zombie films out there. I think you can get better heist movies out there. You can get more off your TV than this Netflix movie. So props for trying something new, I suppose, but this is two thumbs down for me. And that will do it for our review of Army of the Dead. And for this episode of the Middle Seats Podcast, I'm going to swing it right back to my friend Nate. He can tell you where to find us on the internet. Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms including Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Like I said, it's a big string of big blockbusters coming around the corner. I think it's pretty safe to say in some capacity we will be talking about A Quiet Place Part 2 coming up. We may take a look at Cruella. Uh, I don't want to make a promise on that one, but definitely Quiet Place (laughs) Part 2. Get to that when you can uh, for the next review. Some fun stuff coming around the corner. Thanks for being with us uh, as we head into the summer movie season. That will do it for us. For Nate Longarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs> <laughs>